about this a little bit before, but that's one of the primary like places of attack for like the atheists today. If they can, if they can tear down the credibility of the Bible, then the entire the entire system of faith upon which the Bible is built collapses. So our faith is founded upon the testimony of the eyewitnesses. It's the same advice, the same like uh, conversation. I'd be like, you turn to your wife, hey, uh, did you shut the garage door? And she says, yes. Like, are you sure? Yes. How do you know? Because I did it. I, I was there. I saw it. I pushed the button and it closed. She's an eyewitness. So when I say, did you close the garage door? She says, yes. So I, I believe the eyewitness testimony. So then you write that eyewitness testimony down and you pass it on to other people. Something maybe more helpful than is a garage door down. But things like, oh, I saw someone who claimed to be God. And then... He died, but then he rose again from the dead. That's worth writing down and passing around. So that's the eyewitness testimony that we call the Bible or the New Testament, especially in the Gospels. So our faith is founded upon the confession, the eyewitness testimony, right? Now there's more to it and there's, there's lots of facets of faith and how the Lord strengthens our faith. But we say faith comes by hearing. Well, we, faith always comes by hearing. Faith in anything comes by hearing. Faith that the garage door is closed. Is the garage door closed? Yes. Now I believe it because my wife told me it is. See? So all the things that, that doesn't mean we believe everything that we hear, but the things that we believe are the things that we have heard, right? If you've seen it, it's no longer faith. See? So faith isn't about what you see, it's believing what you don't see. Uh, anywho, so faith and reason, and there's, there's also outside of, supporting and defending the biblical testimony, um, there's other, ca or other aspects of apologetics that are trying to um, give reason for the existence of God without using the Bible. The reason being, some people won't even consider looking at the Bible or even consider the possibility of such a conversation because they're so convinced that there's no God for whatever the reason is. So just kind of a blind, in that case, it's actually blind faith. It's just blindly believing. But some might say, I have faith in uh, evolution. And, and just, I'm so convinced of evolutionary theory that um, there's, there can't be a God. Well, so there's plenty of very excellent uh, arguments that, that the, in which the goal is to poke holes in the, I think we think about it like a, a brick wall that's been put up around people to keep the Bible out. And so... Uh, there's plenty of really good cases that can be made for simply poking holes in evolutionary theory. So and where you've got plenty of guys with PhDs who are th making arguments from biology and physics and, and other science arguments to poke holes in the, a lot of these worldviews that are keeping the Bible out. So this is helpful potentially for you, both in your conversations with friends and family, loved ones who have these arguments. You might just have curiosity for yourself um, because very often um, maybe you're watching some historical, something on History Channel or whatever it is, or like one out of every three things that comes up on your Facebook newsfeed is trying to rob you of your faith probably. <laughs> so just to have some of these uh, sound arguments in hand is helpful. Not a Lutheran resource, it's pan-Christian uh, pan evangelical. Uh, we've, uh, years, maybe four, four years ago, I, I walked through a, a Bible study from Faith, or Focus on the Family, in which one of the guys 
uh, talked about um, it's really like uh, the, the, the expanding universe theory and how that kind of debunks evolution. Anyway, uh, if, you're, if you came to any of those, that guy is a part of it and a few other authors. Um, they're not really getting, from what I can tell, they're not getting too much into the weeds of like doctrinal stuff, but it's more, it's like pre-doctrinal stuff. It's like, how do we, how can we get somebody to even consider the possibility of a God? Or how can we maybe debunk some of the, some of the arguments that are wreaking havoc on the faith of maybe ourselves or our children? So that's a, there's four sessions. They're all like 30 to 45 minutes long. So there's time for, to watch the video. It's a video, so we'll put it up there and uh, you can have it connected to the sound of, and we'll have conversation afterward. One of the four is, actually the first one is quite boring. So that's a bad start. We're not gonna watch the first one. We're gonna skip to the second one and watch this. <laughs> yeah, no boring. Uh, no boring stuff allowed. So just the last three. And then there's handouts to go along with it in conversation. So that's going to be starting on uh, the day we celebrate All Saints Day, which will be November 6th, I think. And so next week, Reformation. We'll talk a little bit about Reformation stuff, but then wrap up anything. The more I talk about talking about Luke 8, we're never going to actually do it. So we'll finish up Luke 8 and talk about Reformation and then um, start the Faith and Reason seminar, we'll call it, for like three weeks. And then Pastor Schumacher will take over from there through probably up till Lent at that point. And then we'll get back on Luke 9 in 2022 uh, Easter. And then we'll keep going. Pastor, yes. So you can Google Faith, Faith and Reason Conference 2021. We had to pay like 150 bucks for it. And it's like, they basically they recorded a, a, a conference in during the pandemic and it was all like all virtual. And so they just kind of packaged that and made it available for people to make some more money. And we, and we thought it was a helpful resource. Right, so thank thanks to James for bringing it up. He said, this could be interesting. I said, I'm only gonna do it if, I said, exactly. I'm only gonna do it if you come. So front, front row, see how it works. So be careful, if you show me a Bible study, I'm gonna hold it against you. So get your hand out ready. There's like uh, two big chunks we wanna cover. And I didn't get a handout. Can, can you grab me? Thank you. Thanks, James. Um, I gave one to everybody else. I forgot one for myself. So we are Jesus healing the demon. And I want to I wanna kind of run into this, like I say at the top of your handout previously, like the way all of our TV shows start, last time in Luke 8. Um, Jesus calmed the storm. And we kind of ran through that, that little piece about, uh, as he says, where is your faith? We talked a little bit about faith. But just to get us a running start, uh, they're in the boat. Master, master, we are perishing. This is Luke 8, verse 24. Um, the boat's filling with, filling with water. Master, we are perishing. He gets up, rebukes the wind. Strong, that's a helpful word. He rebukes. He's always speaking into creation to stop things, which is no surprise because that's how things were created in the first place, through his voice. Or really, he is the word. So now the word is rebuking the storm, calming it. Where is your faith? That is, uh, I think it, in Matthew puts it, um, why do you, oh, you have little faith. So when we talk about faith, faith is only as strong as its object. We talked about that last week. So when we say strong faith, weak faith, we don't, we don't necessarily want to think about faith as the muscle itself. But the strength of the faith is determined by that to which the faith clings. So if I have faith that 
the Bears will win. That's obviously very weak faith. Uh, but if I have faith in something that's something stronger, then it's stronger faith. So that's the strong. So when he says to me, where, where is your faith? That is, what is the, where are you putting, in what are you putting your faith? It's kind of the same thing as saying, oh, you have little faith. Is you're not putting your faith in me, you're putting your faith in something else. Because if you're putting your faith in me, you wouldn't be worried in the same way. And we talked a little bit about also how um, the disciples are always dying they're just not as mindful of it as they are when the boat starts filling up with water, right? So in our, we're, at some points, we're, we're especially reminded of our mortality. And that's when the Lord's reminding us to put our faith. We, we rightly do run to him. Uh, and in, even the Psalms teach us to pray. We run to Jesus and, and um, cry out for help. As a child prays to a father, which is asking for anything, at any time, uh, but also the child knows that God's gonna give me what I need. The child knows that dad's gonna give me what I need when I, when I need it. Uh, so we run to Jesus and we don't wanna be like the disciples and we often are like the disciples. So remember, this text isn't about what's happening to the disciples, it is that, but it's also trying to do something to you. So that is in our prayers, in our, especially in our moments of trial, that is those times when we are faced up with our mortality and reminded of our suffering and sickness. It's in those times of trial that we're like, Jesus, don't you care that my child is dying? Where are you, God? Don't you care that whatever the thing is? That's the, that's the, the flesh saying, it doesn't seem, like, doesn't seem like God's on my team here. Right? It doesn't seem like he's doing all things for my good. And so we, we are to run to Jesus and Jesus is keeping us mindful. Put, my, put your faith in him, not in whatever else, you're, whatever else it's in. Uh, and so they say, this, help, this question's helpful because it's gonna come back in a second. And in verse 25, they were afraid, they marveled saying to one another, who then is this? Who is this? Now they, they know who he is. They've been with him for seven chapters of Luke now. It's obviously who Jesus is. But yet that question, who is this? Because in a few verses, Jesus is going to encounter a demon. And the demon says, Jesus of Nazareth. The, so the demons know who Jesus is and the disciples who are there don't. It's an interesting contrast that Luke is showing us. Uh, he commands the winds and water and they obey him. Now, today's text, verse 26 and following. Any quick comments or qu uh, questions on the boat and Luke, in that verse before we get in, yeah, James? I just find it really interesting that these, these guys who were begging Jesus to save them all went on to be like martyred. <laughs> so it's like, careful what you ask them. They all, yeah, so that's true. So they're, they're bet, yeah, it's a great thing to keep in mind. So that while they're on the boat, scared to death of dying in the presence of Jesus, crying out for, for help so that they don't die, those are the same guys who end up all going to their death via martyrdom, except for John, who ended up just being exiled. It's essentially the same thing. But they all go to their death. And in the early church, we have those who, who almost go to their death joyfully, right? Uh, and that's the kind of faith, ultimately, that the Lord, we, we pray for, that you, you're so, you're so um, your faith is grabbed a hold of so much the Lord's promises that I'm, 
I'm ready to be done with this life of suffering and move on to what the Lord has for me, right? And that's the prayer of the Christian. So then, so they have the martyr, these confessions of the martyrs, like, you can kill me, you're just gonna get me closer to the Lord. So with joy, with the mar- would martyrs give the confession unto death. But it wasn't there initially. They're in the midst of their trial and they're, and they're panicking. So whenever you hear the people say, you know, uh, come Lord Jesus, that's this prayer for God to, to come back and take us out of here. But also interesting from a time perspective, because remember the Lord's outside of time. So we pray for God to return, but we also, uh, we're kind of praying for us to, to die and be taken to heaven. It works out the same chronologically, right? All right, 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee, about 35 miles southeast of the Sea of Galilee. So it's out in the boonies. When Jesus stepped out on land, this is gonna come back too. So he steps out on land on the other side. So he had been with this massive crowd on the other side of the sea. Then he comes, he crosses, he gets off the boat and immediately as his feet hit the shore, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then asked, him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. And so they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission, and then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the, and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And that's our pericope for today. So right away, we get this demon possessed man meeting Jesus on the shore. And how is he dressed? He's wearing, he's wearing nothing. And is this, are we supposed to see this as a, a good thing or a bad thing? That he's naked? So, so there's a contrast, and Luke did this, he's done it a couple of times. So Luke's kind of got this poetic style that we can kind of see where he's contrasting paradise with the situation now. So in, in paradise, we're not in the wilderness. Wilderness is always the place where the devil is. Remember where Jesus goes to be tempted? in the wilderness. So it's like this place where there's no life, but there's like wild animals. There's this fear of the animals versus in the Garden of Eden where everything is lush and growing and the animals are like 
talking to him like Dr. Doolittle, right? So it's like more of a peaceful situation at the beginning. And they're not wearing clothes, but they are not what? Ashamed. And then after the fall, nakedness becomes this mark of shame. So we've got this guy, in his nakedness, we are reminded of the fall into sin, the shame that he bears, and they're in the wilderness. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. What goes in tombs? The opposite of life, which is where we had, what we had at creation, which was the giving of life. And now we've got nothing but death. And, the, and there, he's homeless. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, so the demons run up to Jesus and identify him. So they, Jesus wasn't seeking him out. Now he is God, so maybe he was. But the text says these guys are coming to Jesus. And we talked about this before back at the temptation of Jesus. Remember how we have like radio silence on the devil from, from the Garden of Eden. We see him once in Job and then we get nothing. I mean, the devil's obviously working, but we don't see him by name talking and doing anything. And he shows up at the baptism of Jesus after he's baptized when he's marked and God's voice from heaven says, this is my son. This is my beloved son. This guy. Ah, and then the devil goes after him, right? So, and then everywhere Jesus goes, what keeps on happening to him? The demons come to him. It's like he's, it's like, it's like this time of year when you try to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich outside, what, what attacks you immediately? Bees, right? So everywhere Jesus goes, they're just all over him. Uh, all right, so they come to Jesus they identify him unlike the disciples. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high, versus who is this? He commands even the wind and the sea. I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man. So with this word, he rebuked the sea. Now he's rebuking the demons, the same word that has control over creation and the spiritual realm. For many time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. Why? What? Well, so, so what? He could, yeah. So he could, help, he could hurt somebody or himself. So you gotta imagine like his loved ones being like, we gotta, we gotta protect him from himself when he has these fits because it seems to come and go. So he goes into these fits and he just, he's hurting himself and he can hurt anybody. So uh, often with demon possessions, we have this association with also with great strength, almost unhuman strength. So he's breaking the bonds and being driven out into the place where the demons like to hang out, the desert. Let's see. How is, so your handout, how is the demon ejected from the man? as we'll be singing next week on Reformation Sunday, and the hymn, One Little Word Can Fell Him. Uh, the, Lord, the, wor the word they shall let remain, nor any thanks have for it. He's by our side upon the plain with his good gifts and spirit, right? So our, the valiant one, Jesus Christ, it is, fighting for us by our side. Take they our wife, goods, fame, child, and life. Though they all be gone, our victory has been won. So Luther's, uh, this, the hymn comes out of Psalm 46, but this same picture of this word, the devil comes with all of his 
fury and might and wrath uh, with his, like, like a, but he's like a caged animal. So he can harm us none. He shows his teeth and yet one word fells him. So even the presence of Jesus, which happens to also be the incarnate word, in contact with the devil, the, devils, the, the demons are automatically, we know we're out of here. Uh, could you maybe not throw us into hell yet? Is, the, is the, this plea? And Jesus, for some reason, shows mercy. Uh, so, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. So in Revelation 9, 11, 17, and 20, talk about the abyss as the place of torment, despair. Satan dwells there. In other words, the abyss is hell. Uh, which, to talk about hell for a second here, it's a, that's certainly an unpleasant idea. Um, but coming up in February, February 20, Jacqueline, 20... 20-something. It's like the Saturday after Valentine's Day. We're going to have Pastor Jared Melius come out again. We, we did this lecture. We had the, the, the lay theology conference that we do. We did pre-COVID, uh, either in the fall or the spring. We bring out a speaker and talk about a particular topic that seems to be helpful for the, for the laity. And uh, we did this. He was our first one years ago. And it's on uh, heaven and hell. Um, so... It sounds like, oh, that's kind of boring. There's all kinds of really interesting things that we just kind of take for granted or haven't really stopped to think about what the Bible says about heaven and hell. So uh, we spend most of that time talking about heaven, but then we'll get a little bit into hell. And uh, so we'll get that marketed soon-ish. And we tell you about it now, you're just going to forget. But know that it's coming in the dead of winter on a Saturday when there's like nothing to do outside. Come here. So we'll have a conference all day on Saturday. And then we'll, he's also gonna stick around and preach for us and teach a little a, a mini, mini, mini version of that in Bible class that, that Sunday. Hell is not necessarily a place, especially when we think back to it's a spiritual realm. So by, nece by necessity, like we, it's hard for us to comprehend spiritual realm. Same with heaven. The, the pre-return pre of Christ heaven, that is heaven now, where those who have died in the faith are, it's a spiritual realm. And yet, it's described in physical terms in the Bible. So they're in heaven, they're wearing white robes and white masks. No, I'm kidding. No masks in heaven. And palm branches, a victory, right? So this is a, this is a physical description, even though it's a spiritual place. Same with hell. The point is the spiritual turmoil that's actually depicted for us in physical terms. Burning, fire, where the worm is not quenched. Now, I'm not saying it's not physical. It's just like trying to, we also want to be mindful that the main thing is not necessarily the physical torment, but the physical torment, both in hell, as it's depicted in the Bible, and on the cross, the, oh, I'll come back to the cross. So all this, the painful pictures of hell are trying to depict the greater pain, the greatest pain, which is what? Eternal separation from God. So all, the, all, the, all these other terrible things by which, heaven, by, by which hell is described are trying to give our, our brains a picture of what hell, what it's like to be cut off from God. Which is also why some have presumed, so the Old, the Old Testament prophesied that, the, that Jesus was gonna be crucified essentially and die. I mean, it's pretty, pretty clear on 
the way in which he was going to die. Moses sticking a, a snake on a stick as, as Moses raised the serpent, so too was the Son of Man be lifted up. So, but Jesus wasn't crucified because the prophets said that. But what? They said it because it was going to happen that way. So Jesus is crucified, some have presumed, because the crucifixion is the absolutely worst way to go, especially in that t- at that time. So to wrap our minds around the significance of the suffering of hell, we see physical torment to try to give us a glimpse. So the crucifixion is not the worst thing for Jesus, but what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Being forsaken by God on the cross is hell. So when Jesus is forsaken, he experiences for all people of all times, the wrath of God in hell on the cross. Then he descends into hell, not to suffer because he said it is finished. He goes down into hell to declare the victory over the devil, right? So anyway, it's helpful to, to keep mindful of what, what hell is and isn't. A uh, large herd of pigs was feeding over there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Interesting. So the pigs, which are for the Jew, what? Unclean. So the unclean demons going into the animals that are unclean. He gives them permission for whatever reason. He gives them temporary permission. Doesn't send them into the abyss, into hell, which he has the power to do. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. So I don't know how this conversation would have gone because when the demons say, what have you to do with me? Oh, did I skip over? I skipped over the name. What is your name? He, he said, legion, which is the Roman legions of soldiers were like four to 6,000 soldiers. So this idea of being thousands of demons, for many demons, and we are legion. So it's kind of creepy. I mean, a demon would certainly be creepy, but thousands of demons, thousand, doubly creepy. Uh, and they begged him. All right. So he enters into the pigs. He gives them permission for whatever reason. The demons come out of the man, enter the pigs, and the herd rush down the steep bank. And to no surprise, they drown because pigs aren't known for their swimming skills. Although fat floats, I guess. So you think, in any case, when they died, you think the demons would have just come out of the pigs anyway. But for whatever reason, they don't. I mean, the scriptures don't give us that detail. It's like, we're just gonna, I mean, they're, they're inside the dwelling. It seems that the, and Jesus has talked this way before, the demons are always looking for a place to go. So they get cast out of a house, and if Jesus isn't there, they come back in. So they're always looking for somewhere to go. So they're inside the pigs, and the pigs are drowning, and they're like, oh, let's just hang out here until Jesus leaves, right? So it's, I mean, from our perspective in the New Testament life, we'd have been like, let's do what? Have a great barbecue. But not yet. He hasn't declared all, clean, all foods clean uh, yet, or at least that hasn't been like redundantly taught yet in the New Testament. They were drowned, which is the same word. This is interesting. The, the herd rushed down the steep. Do I say this? Kind of on your handout. Verse 35, we'll get there in a second. The same word for drowned in the Greek is the same word, interestingly, used for choked, which we just had a chapter or two ago in the parable of the sower. What does the choking? The weeds that choke the seed. So we get the same idea of, the, of, this, of, this, of what the demons are about. 
choking out the seed. And now what, what they do to others happens to, to them, to the pigs ultimately. Uh, they are choked like, like what the weeds do. The herdsmen see what happened. They fled and told it to the city. They go tattletale. Oh, you never guess what happened. Then the people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, found the man. Now, in the parable of the sower, what, does the, what happens to the good seed? It's the seed that grabs us, sorry, the good soil. The seed grabs it up, soil grabs the seed, and it bears much fruit. Which, what is that, what is it to, what is it to receive the seed but to simply hear the word, right? Was this man good soil when Jesus encountered him? No. He's being choked. Uh, really, remember what the birds are that swoop in and take the seed away? It's the devil. It's called the devil. So we get this man who kind of represents, when Jesus meets him, all the bad soils. And what does Jesus do to him? He makes him good soil. Which that was kind of the main point that we were talking about in the parable of the sower. That's why Jesus even bothers telling the parable. It's why we even hear God's word. We are all either being choked by the weeds or we've got stones in our soil uh, or, we, or the devil is creeping in and taking the word away from us. So God comes to us in his mercy and makes us good soil by his word as he did for this man who's now find, who's found in the posture of a disciple. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. We use that language all the time. Like if, if you sit at the feet of Tom Cruise, you're a... Christian science or whatever, Scientology? It's all the same, you're crazy. <laughs> Sit at the feet of your, your teacher, your rabbi. So he's sitting at the feet of Jesus and unlike he was when we found him, he is what? He's clothed and in his right mind. Think back to the cross, or I guess think ahead to the cross. What do they do to Jesus when they put him on the cross? They strip his garments and they do what with them? Yeah, they cast lots because they don't want to tear it up because, hey, it's pretty good. It's one scene. We don't want to, somebody's going to get this. And, and they, they, so people are clothed with the, clo with the garment of Jesus. And now here's Jesus who encounters this naked guy covered in his shame, uh, full of the devil. He casts out the devil and clothes him with, with what? No one else was there. If he's clothed, what? It wasn't like they went over a target. Where are they? They're in the wilderness. So whose clothes are these? Now, unless the guy like happened to strip naked and left his stuff on a pile over there maybe, which could have happened, I suppose. But also, we get this beautiful picture of Jesus taking off his robe, his outer garment, and giving it to this guy. But Jesus also is always saying, if, if you've got two garments and that guy's got none, give it to him, right? So here's Jesus, who's literally clothing the guy, and he's also spiritually doing that on the cross, clothing us with his righteousness. His, his garment is used to clothe the people there at the cross, the guys who won the, the lot. Anyway, Jesus' garments are interesting. They're gonna come up here again, maybe today. Um, they were afraid. So they see, G, they see the dude in his right mind and they were afraid. And those who had seen it, which, which also they were when they were on the boat and Jesus cast out the storms. And now he's cast out the demons and fear comes. 
Those who had seen it told him how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart. Why? Practically. Yes. No, they weren't really thinking a good, I mean, the, the smart farmer would have hidden his pigs and then told Jesus where all the other farmers were. <laughs> Kill all their pigs and the price goes up, right? That's right. That's how Dominic makes his money. I think we can short the market. <laughs> anyway, and those who had seen it told him how the demon-possessed man was healed. Then, the, then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart. They were seized with great fear. Again, the fear. So he got back into the boat. Remember how he came across, gets out of the boat, and immediately he hits, gets hit by the demon. He didn't make it very far. So he gets back in the boat, and he went back where he came from. The men from whom the demons had gone uh, begged that he might be with him. It's a helpful thing to remember. For the Lord to be with us. Where do we, where do we hear that language? Yeah, Emmanuel, very good. Emmanuel, God with us. His name means, right? So he is God with us. He's promised to be with us. I mean, Jesus literally promised to be with us. Where? Well, he is with us in his supper. He locates himself in his supper. But when does he actually say, I am, and lo, I am with you always. Where does he attach that gift? Holy baptism. So when Jesus baptizes a person into his name, he joins his presence to us. So remember, his, with Jesus, it's all different. It's not like us. So his name is, his, God's name is his being, his presence. So that's, hence, hence the name Yahweh means I am. His name is his being. So when Jesus puts his name on you, he puts God with you. So this guy wants to be with Jesus. And Jesus is thinking, hey, don't worry, I'll be with you wherever you go. Uh, Jesus sends him, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Now we're starting to see a shift because in Luke 9, we're going to get a clear demarcation in Jesus setting his eyes to the cross, which hopefully we're going to hit that right around Good Friday, maybe. But um, so there's a transition in the middle of Luke at the transfiguration. It's like 950 something. Jesus comes off the Mount of Transfiguration and he sets his face toward Jerusalem. And at that point, it's like, all right. He's like, he's taken off the Pharisees. Um, that's when he, heal, he heals Lazarus. The Pharisees get all mad. They got to kill Jesus. He's going into Jerusalem. Prior to that, they're like, not, Jesus, let's not go to Jerusalem right now because they might kill you prematurely. Jesus is avoiding Jerusalem and he's telling people not to tell people what has happened to you, which they do anyway, terrible listeners. But he says, don't tell people what, what, what happened to you. Why? Two reasons. Maybe more, but at least two. Uh, first, if, if, everyone gets, if everyone's uh, coming up to Jesus for healings, he's never going to get to the cross. He's going to become like a little tent out in the middle of the desert where people are coming to for healings, which gets to the point. Jesus did not come to do physical healings. So if everyone gets the idea that Jesus is here to do physical healings, they're missing the point. And so he doesn't send people out, which he's going to send out the disciples shortly, to send them out to tell the gospel, but he couldn't send them out. We don't want people telling people about Jesus until they understand what he's really about. He's not here for the physical healings. He, what the physical healings happen, though, because he can't help himself. Like, you can't, you can't be God and have a guy there 
staring you in the face, blind, saying, please help, and have all the power to help him and not do it, unless you have a good reason not to. In which case, we know Jesus often does, but Jesus, very often, we see him just healing people. And he never, Jesus never, approach, he never encounters death without waking the people up every time. He can't help himself. He sees people crying and it makes him sad and he heals them. And, and yet on the cross, he's like, all right, the guy next to him, Jesus is gonna die before he does. Maybe, like, yeah, Jesus is gonna die before he does. And so since he's not gonna be there to speak life into his death on the other side, he'll tell him on this side, Today you'll be with me in paradise. And then he dies. Ah, oh, beautiful. All right. Uh, he wants to be with Jesus. Jesus tells him, go and tell everybody what's happened. And so now we start getting this. Word was already spreading, but now Jesus isn't trying to stop it as much. What? Return to your home and declare how much, what? God has done for you. What did he not say? I have done for you. All right. So is Jesus not God? Well, you go on. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city. So he goes back to his home city and declares how much God had done for him, right? No. What? Jesus. So what's this guy's, the guy, the, the, the demon-possessed man, now sitting at the feet of Jesus, what does he now know about Jesus? He is God. Right? Now he sees what, G, what God has done for him. And not just for everybody. We, there's a, we always want to make this distinction. God so loved the world. He loves everybody. Um, so it, it's true that like I can walk into my house and talk to all my girls and say, I love you all. But it's also nice to occasionally pick up one of them and say, I love you, right? So to deliver this personalization. So Jesus, in all of his busy ministry, he had other things to do. He stopped and he healed this one random dude in the desert. He cares about us, not just corporately, but individually. So with the Lord's Supper, for example, for you, given and shed for you individually, but also corporately, but he's given also individually. All right, so we got the presence of Jesus there. Uh, one of the questions, how does Jesus remain with us today? Softball question there. How is he with us? Baptism, the Lord's Supper, really? His word, or whatever he has attached his word to, right, which would be baptism and the Lord's Supper. So we have the Lord with us. And now with regard to demons. So what does the presence of Jesus always do when it encounters these demons? The demons are always cast out. So we're mindful of the power of the gospel and God's word in casting out the demon and the devil. So we know where, wherever there is, like, refusal to forgive, uh, hatred against neighbor, evil. Like that's our old sinful flesh, but it's also like you can almost picture it like just like those bees around the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like when we're, when we're going toward evil, the devil's there dragging us along, convincing us along the way. It's gonna be better for you. God wants you to do this. Isn't that not the, the promise of the devil in the Garden of Eden? It worked the first time, he just keeps doing it. I know, I know God gave you the Ten Commandments, uh, and yes, those are true. But so in this situation, though, you're not stealing because technically the government's kind of stealing too much from you already. So you can lie on your taxes. <laughs> Self-justify. The devil's there whispering into our ears. We're justifying our sins against neighbor. You know, you can talk bad about your neighbor. 
because they actually talk bad about you and they deserve it. Like every little kid ever, right? Why did you hit him? Because he hit me. Self-justification, right? So the devil's always here dragging us along, promising that the sins that we want to do are going to ultimately satisfy. Do they ever satisfy? Maybe temporarily, but do they ever ultimately? No. The promise, though, is that they will, but then they don't. Like Eve, case in point, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Did she not, there's a devil lying? No. She became like God in the sense that she knew good and evil. But was that, did that work out well for her? Was she then happy? Especially not when she was delivering Cain and Abel, <laughs> which is a curse, one of the curses into, of sin, right? Uh, good. So, so in the face of a demonic world, an evil world, we have this comfort that the Lord is with us. He's promised to be with us in all things. He's promised to be with us in the face of the devil doing his evil, right? And yet we're protected. Our children are protected. We bear the Lord's name and we're protected from the, the devil. And in our situations where we're like, man, the devil uh, just feels like there's a demonic presence here. All right, so recite some scripture. I was jogging the other, this is kind of a silly thing. Um, I was jogging at like, whatever, six o'clock, it's dark. And now in Naperville, since people are weird, there's like this ginormous, my neighbor got this like six, five clown. I hate clowns, especially scary ones. And that wasn't in the front yard when I drove by like the day before. So here I am leaving to go jogging. And there's this, ah! And I, this kind of in my mind, I'm like, it's, it's like, there is this demonic realm. There are demons. And then I just quickly remind myself, I'm baptized. The Lord is with me. The devil can't have me. And that's a comforting thing to even repeat to ourselves, which is not, this is exactly what we do in the morning and the evening. You make the sign of the cross, which is us remembering our baptisms when Jesus put his cross upon us. So, I mean, that's, don't make the sign of the cross, maybe it doesn't matter. But the idea is remembering that we're baptized. And if I'm baptized, the devil can't have me. If, I, if, I'm possess, if, if, my, if God's name is on me, I belong to him. I'm possessed by him. If I'm possessed by him, I cannot be possessed by the devil. Isn't that nice? So remind yourself who possesses you in the face of the devil. You got three minutes to cover the rest of the chapter. Impossible. Uh, let me, let me any, let's, let's just, are there any comments or, yeah, Tom? And that seems to be the, like the whole theme of the book of Luke. So Luke is a book written for like the Gentiles. We have this whole Jesus going after the Gentiles quite a bit. We have Luke is, is always kind of saying what's happening at different feasts and stuff. So it, it assumes a, a, a Gentile audience often throughout the text. And it's not... Not just a Gentile audience, but there's a clear message of Jesus' love and the, the mission of the gospel is for the Gentiles. So he's always going to these places. Um, yeah, so he's south, so you got like the, 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 Red sea, or the Dead Sea down there by Jerusalem. So he's across the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, so he's like 30, 
miles on the other side of the Jordan River, we're getting, we're getting into more Gentile territory as we head east. And as you go north, like over by the, the Red Sea, you get it, that's where Jesus always encounters, um, I'm blanking out on the, the name. Who are the northern tribes always referred to as? Samaritans, the dirty Samaritans, right? They're up north, they're all Gentiles. Um, all right, any other, any other comments or questions? Because we're kind of out of time, so we might just stop. Yes? So this is a good, it's a good question. It's not like it's comfortable for them. So hell was created for the, the devil and his demons. So it's not like, it's not, so we think about, if you think about the devil as like, he's happy down there. Like that's, a, that's how he's often depicted in like movies or cartoons that like he's content. No, I mean, they're being tormented as well because they weren't, I mean, remember the demons ultimately are being punished. So they, they left, they fell. So the, remember how the scriptures talk about the devil as like the king of this earth, prowling around like a roaring lion. So they're, they're doing the tormenting, even though they're conquered. So they have, been, they have been defeated, and they've been defeated outside of time. I mean, it's, hard to, it's a hard thing to picture, but remember the cross ha- hasn't happened yet, and yet he's the lamb who's slain before the foundation of the earth. Because when Jesus is crucified in the flesh on earth, he's also God. And so it's got these eternal ramifications outside of time. So all of demons, even at the, before, the, before sin even happened, we have the devil who's ultimately been overcome by the cross that hasn't happened, right? Which is why starting at Jesus, or uh, starting with God clothing Adam and Eve and all the way through the Old Testament, whenever the forgiveness of sins is given, it is actually given. It's not given because Jesus will someday die, but Jesus has died eternally for, the, for them now. So they're defeated, and yet they're uh, uh, flailing around like a drowning person, flailing around on earth, dragging down as many people as they can on their way down. They don't want to go down. Taking them down with them. Good, good, good question. So they're certainly more comfortable on earth. Dominic. But to your previous point, they're still separated from God, so they are still in hell. Right. Yeah, from the, in the spiritual sense, separated from God being in, being in a living hell. Yeah. Which, again, is something we can't comprehend as, as much for them to be in a, in a constant state of hell, having been forsaken by God. It says demons necessarily don't have bodies. The, the imagery of burning doesn't really bother them, right? It would seem. There's just a lot we don't know about the demonic realm, except for in our day and age, we don't encounter it as much. Um, it would seem, although we do, we do encounter it often, and we just diagnose it as something else. CFW author went through this because you have a, in the history of like American Lutheranism, you do have a shift of the, the post-enlightenment growth and awareness of diseases. So like people with epilepsy, they're not possessed by a demon, they have epilepsy. But could they also be possessed by a demon? Yeah. So we treat, we treat the physical condition with the resources that we have and we, we treat the spiritual condition with the resources that we have. 
which is the, the gospel. So Mandy and I did this with, with Annabelle, and she was like, wave, this is like a couple months old, just like screaming. We're like, uh, what's wrong? Burping her, changing her diaper, praying the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> like, there's a devil in here. All right, good. Anything else? Yes, Don. If somebody in downtown Naperville had come along to cure the man who had been wandering around town, somebody would most of us would rush down there. Yeah. Why were they uh, It's a great question. It's the same with if you're in a boat with Jesus and he calms a storm. Like, why were they afraid of him? They seemed like, this is pretty cool. So they weren't, they weren't afraid of the coolest things that he could do, but they're, they're afraid of the power that that represents. If Jesus is able to do all these great things, and in a, in a real sense, the presence of God brings fear even to the believer. Like, he is God, the only righteous one, and here I am with my sin, right? So the subtle sh movement of people going to the sanctuary is a reminder to me to, to wrap things up. The Lord be with you.